Good evening. It's good to see everyone. Let's uh, stand and ask the Lord's blessing upon our study this evening, please. Lord, we do uh, stand before Thee as just a, a gesture to uh, show our reverence for Thee and to come before Thee as Thy people uh, calling for Thy Spirit to be granted unto us. For Lord, we, we do not uh, come casually. Uh, we do not come... Um, seeking a thrill, we come to hear uh, the living God speak unto us through his word and by his spirit. So bless this time we ask and cleanse us of our sins uh, that uh, Lord our sins would not hinder uh, thy uh, voice, dull our ears uh, to what words thou would have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 17, and we'll read uh, verses 17 through 19, focusing this evening upon verses 18 and 19. John 17, 17. Continuing with the prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed on behalf of his uh, disciples uh, before he was taken into uh, un under arrest by the scribes and the Pharisees. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. In our last study, we spent, as you recall, our time uh, comparing and contrasting justification and sanctification. Uh, that was... Um, done in order to help us to better understand what sanctification is. Sometimes it's, it's very helpful not only to define what a term means, but to compare and contrast it to another term so as to distinguish it. Uh, so it becomes, I think, more clear to us. And that was what I was seeking to do in our last Bible study, uh, is to help us to better understand what sanctification is by contrasting it with justification. And I'm not going to rehearse all that I said. I think that there's a very good summary uh, in our larger catechism, question 77, that is really helpful in s summarizing the difference between justification and sanctification. So I'm going to just uh, read that, and that will be our review, and then we'll uh, begin with our new verse uh, in verse 18. So this is a larger catechism question 77. Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? The answer, although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, and I'll pause after each of these phrases. So we can't, we can't uh, be sanctified without previously being justified. There's that inseparable connection. And we can't be truly justified if we're, and say that we've been justified if we're, if we're never being sanctified. There, there's a connection, one flows from the other one necessarily precedes the other. And uh, so they are connected, they, they, though they differ. Uh, they have to be joined together. We can't say, I want to be justified, but I don't want to be sanctified. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so uh, that's 
the first phrase. The next phrase says, yet they differ in that God in justification imputes the righteousness of Christ. We talked about that. In justification, Christ's righteousness, his righteousness is imputed, credited, accounted to be ours so that God is judged as he looks upon us uh, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our righteousness, he sees Christ's righteousness. He, that's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Then it goes on, in sanctification, so in contrast to justification, in sanctification, his spirit infuses. So infuse means to, to uh, put within us, to implant within us. His grace uh, and that holiness and enables to the exercise thereof. So in sanctification, God infuses us. He implants his uh, holiness within us. Um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is implanted within us. Uh, that grace is implanted within us. So that sanctification actually changes First with regeneration, and from regeneration to sanctification. So regeneration is being born again. God changes our nature, and from that changed nature flows sanctification, growth uh, in Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, so that's, again, one difference. Justification imputes, sanctification infuses. Then it continues. In the former, that is in justification, sin is pardoned or forgiven. And we talked about that. All our sins in justification. As, uh, before God is judge, he forgives all of our sins as our judge. In the other, that is in sanctification, sin is subdued. And so then in sanctification, the Lord is, is subduing our sin. Um, that yet remains, it's been forgiven by God as judge, but as, again, our Father, he is subduing the sin within us um, so that uh, sin shall not have dominion over you um, because we're, we're under God's grace, under his uh, grace that gives us the power, the Holy Spirit dwells within us to overcome sin in our lives. So that's, again, another difference. Sin is pardoned in just, justification. Sin is subdued in sanctification. Then one more difference is um, the one, that is justification, does equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God and that perfectly in this life, that they never fall into condemnation. So. Um, in justification, all who are justified equally are set free from the uh, revenging wrath of God, the condemning wrath of God, forever set free perfectly, and they never fall into God's condemnation or under God's co condemnation subsequently uh, in justification. But in sanctification, it, it says the other is neither equal in all. As we talked about, the sanctification differs from one Christian to the next as far as the degree of sanctification. So it's, it's not equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection, which we finally reach in glorification when uh, we go to be with the Lord. But Sanctification is not perfect. It's not the same in, in every Christian. And uh, so uh, that's a helpful. If ever you want to review what the difference between justification and sanctification are so as to better understand each of them, uh, question 77 of the larger catechism is a good place to go. Verse 18 now, moving on. <clears throat> in the prayer of the Lord Jesus. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. 
So Jesus is praying that as the Father sent the Son into the world, and he's been talking here about holiness, that it was necessary that the Son reflect the holiness of the Father. Otherwise, who would listen to him? Uh, who would pay him any attention if he wasn't, if he said, I've been sent by the Father, but he acted completely different by way of holiness from the Father, who would believe him? There's no reason to believe it came from a holy Father uh, if he's not reflecting the holiness of the Father. And he says in, like, uh, in verse 18 at the end of that verse, even so have I also sent them, meaning his disciples, into the world. And so the same is true of his disciples and of us, uh, whom Jesus also had in view when he was praying this prayer. Not only be on behalf of the 11 disciples that were present, but on behalf of us as well. So the same thing holds true. How will anyone believe that the Lord Jesus has sent us to speak on his behalf to anybody if we do not act like Jesus, if we do not speak like Jesus, uh, who is holy? Just as the Father is holy and the Son reflects the holiness of the Father, so we are to be holy like the Son, if we are to speak on his behalf. You know, the problem with, the, I think, the world in which we live and speaking here of the Christian world, uh, the only way that family, friends, the only way that co-workers, I believe, will truly believe that we are who we say we are, Christians, that we um, have been sent by the Lord Jesus uh, to represent him, is if we, again, sound like him in the way we speak. And if we look like him in the way we conduct ourselves. But the problem with modern Christianity, and perhaps not even modern Christianity, but just a part of history of Christianity, but I think more so maybe now because of all the, the ways that we have to, the technology and, uh, and uh, forms of media that we have that gets stuff around so quickly, I think the problem is that we often try to sound more like the world in order to reach the world rather than sounding like Christ in order to reach the world. We think that, well, the world isn't going to respond to me or really hear me if I really look that different from the world. So I think I'll lower my um, level of, of uh, morality in the way I speak and the way I act and I'll just... Uh, uh, be able to have something in common with the world so that they'll listen to me. But when we do that, the world says, you're a hypocrite. You say you're a Christian, and yet you're acting more like me in the world than you are like Christ. You sound in your speech more like the world than you sound like Jesus Christ, whom you say you represent. Why should I become a Christian uh, when there's not that much difference I see between you and me? What do we have to offer the world if we don't have, again, Christ to offer them who, though he associated with the wicked, uh, with the immoral, he didn't act like them in order to win them. He basically said, there's a difference here between you and me. You need salvation. You need 
the work of God in your life. I don't think that we're going to be used <clears throat> by the Lord uh, to draw others to Christ by lowering our standards. I don't believe that's the way the Holy Spirit uses us. And so our, our sanctification uh, is vitally important. Our sanctification and growth in Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ, is vitally important to our testimony and our witness to those in our family uh, who know us best, uh, to those uh, at, at work, our friends, our uh, maybe not our immediate family, but our extended family. As I said, without that growth in holiness, we're simply going to be seen as two-faced, self-righteous hypocrites. And I think probably that would be a fear of evaluation and judgment of us if that's the way we're acting. <clears throat> we might also justify it because Christianity, modern Christianity, is really no standard to, to follow. But we might justify it by saying, you know, my foul speech or my worldly language is really no different than many Christians uh, in, in the world uh, who punctuate their sentences with these foul words um, as well. So I'm not really any different uh, than many Christians, and that's probably true also. But it's not before other Christians that I'm going to have to give an account uh, on that final day. It's before the Lord Jesus that I'm going to have to stand and give an account. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, that every idle word we will have to give an account unto the Lord for. Now, he didn't say every foul word. He said every idle word. Basically, every word that we utter that is not profitable, uh, and not, that doesn't mean that we have to be uh, Mr. Or, Miss or Mrs. Serious all the time because humor can be very profitable when it's, when it's done in an appropriate way. But again, idle words just are words that don't profit anybody let alone angry words, let alone foul words. Those certainly are not profitable. But those are the words of the Lord Jesus that we'll have to give an account for every idle word. That, that really should cause us to say to ourselves, how can I justify sounding like other Christians if other Christians or speaking like the world, why would I want simply to justify my own foul speech by saying, you know, other Christians do it? Well, just because other Christians hypothetically um, commit adultery, well, I'm going to lower my standards and I'm going to commit adultery or fornication or lie, or steal, or cheat. You see these standards are coming down and down and down because Christians are saying, yeah, let's look more and more like the world than like Christ and, and his, uh, his commandments and his laws that he's given to us. And, uh, and as a result, again, um, uh, the speech and the conduct of the world or of Christians is, is being lowered. Um, two verses that are passages in Ephesians first chapter 4 verse 29 <clears throat> let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good unto edification that it may minister grace to the hearer. No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Not a little bit of corrupt communication, um, but none. Uh, that's, that's the standard. 
regardless of who around. Okay, uh, sometimes we'll be with a different crowd, and that's you know we won't say it around this crowd, but we'll say it around this crowd, in this group. Well, that's again uh, hypocrisy. Uh, that's two-faced, self-righteous hypocrisy. Um, likewise, a few verses after the verse I just quoted in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 3 through 4, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Jesting, I think, in that context means uh, foul, immoral type of jesting, joking about you know things um, of a sexual nature or something like that. And all of those words seem to be focused upon immoral speech, uh, and so uh, that he said, "Let it not even be once named among you as becometh saints." So again, the Lord's laid this out for us. Uh, I think very clearly uh, with regard to sanctification. Jesus has already prayed that his disciples and us would be sanctified through his word uh, in verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. God's word is one of the most important means and tools that God uses to sanctify us. Prayer is used, communion with Christ, his word, um, the sacraments. Um, those are all means that God uses to sanctify us. Uh, I think he uses also um, uh, the saints, um, God's people, to sanctify us as a means. Not that we are the source of sanctification, but he uses us to sanctify um, one another, to be help, uh, to be those who help uh, and minister sanctification by the way we act with one another, by the way we speak with one another. That we don't tear one another down, we build one another up, and we set an example of godliness before our, our families and before one another. Does that help you to want to be uh, more sanctified or does uh, when you see someone who's really seeking to live a godly life does that rather have the effect uh, upon you to say I really need to work on my sanctification I think we're true Christians that it should have the latter uh, effect uh, rather than the former that is that it should provoke within us a desire to want to be sanctified even more when we're around those who take that very seriously. I think in the, in the modern church, uh, again, I don't think it's unique to just our present time. Uh, it has been true in the past as well. But increasingly, there's almost a hostility <clears throat> uh, to God's commandments and to God's law amongst those who profess to be Christians. In fact, to speak of obedience to God's law can almost receive a sneer, a sneer you know, uh, uh, or mockery, or you know, you you actually believe that we should follow God's law and God's commandments. To speak of obedience, again, to God's law, I think probably the way some of the responses that people give who profess to be Christians, it's almost like it's a dirty word. Um, uh, and that, you know, to speak of, again, obedience to God's law, it's like those are fighting words. You know, you're, you want to want to get into some kind of a uh, a debate, I'll just say, you know, I believe that we should uh, be obedient to God's law and God's commandments. It's very telling, and again, where this begins is probably not in the people sitting there listening, or, you know, in the congregation, but it begins in the, the ministers in the pulpit who are communicating these things, or even before that in the seminaries. 
<clears throat> it's very telling when preachers no longer speak of growing in holiness or becoming holy. You know, the idea of holy or holiness, where that's not really the emphasis, uh, or it's not emphasized uh, hardly at all. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 through 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> Instead of that, which we just read, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, I think the emphasis has more shifted to, in modern preaching, to commitment. Commit yourself to the Lord. And I don't think that that's unbiblical at all to commit ourselves to the Lord, but it shouldn't be language that we use in order to avoid language, biblical language about being holy. If we're substituting you know, commit yourself to the Lord for be ye holy as I am holy, as the Lord's speaking, then I think that um, we are missing, we ought to be emphasizing both is what I'm saying, not, not one as opposed to the other. Uh, both of those are important uh, truths in God's word. Uh, Romans 12 verses 1 through 2 talks about our commitment to the Lord, uh, uses the word present. Uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present or commit yourself, present yourself a living sacrifice unto God. So it is biblical to present ourselves, commit ourselves um, unto the Lord. That's, that's very biblical. Uh, but notice again, even in that verse where holiness comes in, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we don't present ourselves in an unholy way. We don't commit ourselves to the Lord in an unholy way. We commit ourselves, present ourselves in a holy way, in a holy way. <clears throat> I've noticed likewise how preachers uh, prefer to talk about <clears throat> uh, being led by the Spirit or walking in love, which again, biblical truths, I believe. I believe both of those are biblical expressions. But I, I, I take exception when that becomes the preferred way of speaking rather than, again, walking in obedience to Christ's commandments, or walking in obedience to God's law. When we're trying to avoid using that expression, which again is biblical, by using walking by the Spirit or walking in love, rather than using all of those expressions. They're all biblical. Why would we avoid using the one uh, and only using the other, except only to, to um, not offend or thinking that we, we don't want to offend certain people by using expression, walking in obedience to God's law. Uh, people, uh, ministers, again, I think, are trying to soften that which the Lord calls us to do. It's, it's a way of trying to uh, give to them a much more preferred expression, uh, which will be more palatable, walking by the Spirit. Again, that's a biblical expression, but what does it mean? Does it mean that it's less exacting to walk by the Spirit, that we don't have to obey God and His commandments as much by walking in the Spirit or walking by the Spirit? 
walking in love, does that mean that love cancels out and uh, the, the commandments and the law of God so that you know, walking in love means we don't have to obey God's commandments? Um, we have to be, again, uh, careful that we're not choosing expressions that are biblical in order to avoid other expressions that are biblical. We want to, as ministers and preachers, uh, to give the whole counsel of God. <clears throat> My thoughts, uh, to some degree, go back in time to, to my own youthful um, expression of Christianity, uh, you, you know, younger in my Christian faith, uh, in which I thought walking in holiness, that, that idea, walking in holiness or walking in obedience to God's law, uh, meant that there was... Uh, you know, an absolute standard, which was God's law. And I preferred rather to walk in the Spirit. I preferred to walk in love because that felt like I had more freedom uh, to kind of walk as a Christian uh, in according to my own preferences. That allowed me, it seemed in my own perverted thinking, uh, it seemed to allow me a little bit more um, uh, exercise of my own will, my own preferences um, with regard to my obedience rather than walking according to his law, walking according to his commandments. You see, God's law at that point in my life had a very negative connotation to me. Um, and the reason it did is because to speak of God's law and God's, God's commandments implies accountability. That I am accountable to God to walk in a way that he says I should walk. And if I don't, there are consequences. But walking in the spirit and walking in love don't convey that same idea. And yet, if you love me, Jesus says in John 14, 15, keep my commandments. Likewise in 1 John 5, 3, Lord Jesus says, this is the love of God. If we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. Now we're not justified by the law. We've already talking about justification. We're not justified and declared righteous by our law keeping. We can't keep the law perfectly. We're justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we have been set free once and for all from the condemning wrath of uh, our having broken God's law. God's wrath rests upon us because we have, but God, through Christ, has set us free from that condemning wrath once and for all when we trust in Christ. We're under grace, not under the law. That is, we're under grace, not under the condemning wrath of God's law. In Romans 6, 14. But we are not, and listen closely, we are not set free from obedience to God's law as the standard of holiness. Holiness implies there's a standard that by which we measure, you know, holiness. James 1.25, again, for Christians, for us to embrace and practice and believe. It says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Interesting. James calls God's law the perfect law of liberty, not of bondage, not, not of something negative, 
but the perfect law of liberty. You see, following God and his law out of love for him, faith and trust in Christ uh, is where we find true freedom. Where, uh, as on the other hand, when we walk contrary to God's law and his commandments is where we find misery. And so again, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, that is the doer of God's law, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Blessed. Not made miserable, but blessed in doing so. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.21 that he is under the law to Christ. He says, those are the words he gives, that he says that he is under the law to Christ. In other words, he's not under the law to bondage, uh, 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 to, um, under the law to condemnation. Uh, he's under the law to Christ. In other words, when we become Christians, we uh, are set free from certain um, things regarding the law, as I said, condemnation, um, but we're not set free from obedience. We continue to obey if we are Christians. We're under the law to Jesus Christ out of love and obedience to him. In fact, uh, in 1 John, uh, John says we deceive ourselves if we think that we have not sinned. He says the truth is not in us in John 1.8. But my question is how do we know what is sin? Is it sin simply what we define sin to be? Or is sin what God defines sin to be? And if it is what God defines, then where does he define it? In his law. In his law. Um, 1 John 3.4 that uh, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. That's where God reveals to us what sin is, is in his law. As I said, um, I think people, why people, uh, and Christians in particular, but people in general, people want to be set free uh, from the obedience to God's law is because they don't like accountability. They don't like to have to answer uh, to God or, you know, for anyone, to anyone else. It's just like a child, our children. Um, a child doesn't like accountability, right? Uh, uh, that's just not something that we uh, uh, naturally desire, you know, uh, by God's grace, in the work of God's grace in the lives of our children, we see more and more of that. But, um, but as parents, um, and uh, those of you who are, who are not parents, I, I think you can still get the point, but as parents, don't we want our children to understand accountability to us? I think that uh, a parent who said, no, I don't want my child to sense any accountability to myself is probably um, caught up in the whole woke movement um, uh, rather than, you know, in the, in the scripture. Uh, we understand that as parents. And where is that ability, accountability, how do we apply it? Well, we apply it by way of telling our children to do certain things and not to do other things. I mean, God's word gives us those standards as parents, but we as parents will tell our children, um, you know, clean your room, do this chore, that chore, uh, and that type of thing, those are our 
Those are our parental commands to our, our children. And uh, uh, why, why do your children resist that? Because they don't want to be told. They don't want to be told that they have to do this. Well, we're acting like children when we tell God, I don't want to obey your commandments. I don't want to be under, I don't want to be uh, obedient. I don't want to have that accountability uh, to you, God. I want to live in the Spirit or live by the Spirit. I want to walk in love. Which again, the Bible tells us that even love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, rejoiceth, what? In the truth, not in unrighteousness. Love, biblical love, is walking in obedience to God's law. It's not contrary to God's law. If we truly love God, we will keep his commandments. <clears throat> love, according to Paul in Romans 13, 10, is, is not the breaking of God's law, it's the fulfilling of God's law. Uh, it doesn't destroy God's law. Love doesn't, true love doesn't destroy God's law. True love, again, fulfills, makes full God's law. John 17, 9, or 19, I'm sorry. John 17, 19, just moving on to the next verse. Says, the Lord Jesus continuing in his prayer, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that is for the sake of his, his disciples, including ourselves as being those disciples. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now in an absolute moral sense, Jesus certainly did not need to be sanctified. Um, he was sinlessly perfect already. Um, he didn't have uh, any growth in holiness in that sense that he needed uh, to see uh, occur in him. He was entirely sanctified already. Therefore, it would seem that what Jesus is praying for here is that he is saying in, in sanctifying himself, setting himself apart, uh, he's thinking in terms of preparing himself for the death that he is about to suffer on the cross. And he's praying at that particular moment right here in John 17. He's praying at that moment that he would be, he's setting himself apart and offering himself up to the Father on behalf of his own beloved disciples and for us. Uh, he's basically saying that he was about to fulfill the covenant that he made with his Father uh, from all eternity in dying for his elect. And he was doing so uh, out of everlasting love for you and for me. That's what motivated him. Uh, also, you know, he was motivated because he had bound himself by covenant to his father to accomplish this. So there was an obligation, there was a duty, but it was, again, both a duty and it was out of love uh, on the part of the Lord Jesus. Uh, he didn't have the attitude, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. He didn't have the attitude, I'll do it, uh, Father, if you force me to do it, he did it certainly in obedience to the Father with whom he had covenanted to accomplish this, but he did it out of the motivation of love that he had for you and for me, his people. As Jesus sanctified himself uh, with that particular goal in mind, uh, the goal that he 
ultimate goal for him going to the cross, uh, we talked about the motivation of love and duty, you know, obedience to his father, but uh, to complete the covenant that had been made. But the end and the goal was our sanctification. He went to the cross that we might be sanctified, that we might be conformed to his image, that we might look like him. Romans 8.29 uh, speaks of our sanctification uh, to conformity to Christ for whom he uh, did foreknow, the, talking about the Father, whom God the Father foreknew, he also did predestinate, and we were predestinated to this, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So to be conformed to the image, that was the goal of Christ, the ultimate goal, that we might look like him, be conformed to his image morally. And again, that our bodies uh, would likewise be like his glorified body. In Ephesians 1.4, uh, says that we were chosen in him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Notice, this is the goal. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we were chosen, we were redeemed by Jesus, that we might be holy, that we might be conformed to his image. First Thessalonians 4.3, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> makes it very clear about sanctification and he says for this is the will of God if we have any question or doubt uh, we can dispel those doubts as to what God's will is sometimes we're asking Lord show me your will show me your will I, I need to understand what your will is in this situation. This is, this is a place that you can go where you can be absolutely sure what God's will is. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So we want to know what God's will is in a particular situation we're curious, we want to know it, but do we want to do it? Because if we don't want to do what we, God has revealed to, his, to us His will is, even your sanctification, then I would question whether you really want to know God's will in the situation you're in, in order to do it. Because if we're not wanting to do what we know to be His will, our sanctification, why would we want to know or what God's will is to do His will uh, in whatever situation we may be in. Uh, we start by the things we know to be God's will. Are we doing it? What He has told us to do. The end of Christ's sacrifice, dear ones, was not simply to forgive you. It wasn't simply to justify you and declare you righteous or to adopt you into his family. That's, those are all bl glorious blessings. But those aren't the end. Those aren't the goal. It wasn't even the goal uh, and, and the end is not simply uh, to, that you might escape hell. That's not the end or the goal. All of those are means to this end that you might be sanctified that you might be holy, that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ.
And that holiness is then to the end that you might enjoy him, that you might commune with him now and for all eternity. And I close on this, this uh, thought with, and then one closing verse, but I close on this thought. The more we grow in holiness, the more we will enjoy Jesus. For we'll be like him. The more you are able to grow together as a, a married couple, the more you will enjoy one another. The more you grow distant and unlike one another, the more you will not enjoy one another. But that truth is very important. The more that we grow in holiness, the more we'll enjoy Jesus because he's holy. That's what he's like. The less we grow, the contrary is true as well. The less we grow in holiness, the less we will enjoy Jesus. If we're not enjoying Jesus, perhaps we should be saying, do I really want to grow in holiness? Do I really want to grow to be like Jesus? If I'm not enjoying him, if I'm not communing with him, if that desire is not there, then I think we ought to be asking ourselves, do I really desire to grow in holiness? Because that's who Jesus, that's what Jesus is like. He is a holy Jesus. Ephesians 5.26, I'll close on this verse, says, it's addressed to husbands, but it has a very important theological truth in it as well. Ephesians 5.26, or 25 and 20, uh, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's the example for us as husbands, Jesus Christ, and how he loved the church. Not because she was beautiful, not because she was perfect or sinless. He set his love upon his church and gave himself uh, for it. That's how he showed love. He gave and gave and he still gives uh, to us. Now, notice verse 26. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus do that? Give himself for the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's why he did what he did, is that we might be made holy. And we will be. We will be perfectly holy when we are glorified. We'll not struggle any longer with temptations or sins once we are glorified that that will be past and gone uh, we will simply uh, live and dwell in holiness that will be what we eat drink breathe is holiness uh, and being like christ and there won't be any boredom in being like christ uh, whatever, um, whatever most um, refreshing times that we've ever had, think back. Think back to in your own Christian life. Was it when you were farther away from Christ or nearer to Christ? I know what's true for me. Uh, I think that's probably true for all of us. When we, the nearer we are to Christ, the more refreshing and more blessed you know is our life and our experience doesn't change necessarily everything around us uh, but we know the blessedness and the, re the refreshing that the Lord gives to us uh, the more that we are like him 
Okay, we'll stop there uh, for this evening. Let's uh, stand and ask the Lord to apply the truths from His Word to our lives. Our Lord, <clears throat> it is only because Thou hast implanted Thy holiness within us that we desire to be holy. Uh, for that, does, that doesn't come from simply our own uh, nature that we've inherited, a sinful nature we've inherited from Adam. It, it, it only happens because of the new nature that has been implanted within us at regeneration and uh, which is growing within us in our sanctification. But Lord, thank Thee for the, that desire uh, help us, our Lord, to again see that is the end of our salvation is to be conformed to the image of Christ and to commune with Christ in that glorified state. But we can begin to taste that. We can begin to enjoy that. Even in this imperfect state, the more, our Lord, that we do grow in holiness and we'll also see the consequences, uh, even the discipline of the Lord in our lives uh, when we don't desire that and when uh, the world and the pleasures of this life replace uh, our desire to be holy and to be like Christ. Father, thank thee for thy word and as, as we close, we remember the prayer of the Lord Jesus for us. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In the name of Christ, amen. Any questions or comments or anything uh, from the study this evening? Yes, Derek. Not a, not a question, but more of a, more of a comment. Yes. Um, you know, when we when we came to Christ, uh, started going to church 13 years ago or so. Um, I was sure within a decade I'd pretty much be glowing because you know how holy we'd become you know, just as we got older. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I think the thing that the Lord has really um, really showed the the longer that I walk with Christ, the more sinful I am, mm -hmm. or at least I know, mm -hmm. know the depths of depravity or the sin that, that the Lord's going to slowly work out of me. But uh, it's just, uh, I, I, I now realize how great a sinner I am, but how great a Savior that Christ is. And so, very thankful for that. Indeed. It's like... Uh, to illustrate that, you know, um, point is very important uh, that, uh, you know, we can be in a room um, that only has, say, a, a, a small light, a, a candle, or um, a, a lamp, um, and the more we go into the um, recesses of the room, the corners of the room, we can't maybe see, you know, uh, ourselves. Uh, and the, um, the filth that might be on us, the closer we get to the light, the more filth we see. You know, if we've been outside working and, and uh, we're really grungy and, and uh, we've got, you know, stuff all over our, our sweatshirt and our pants are dirty and stuff like that. You know, if you're over there in the darkness or farther away from the light, you can't see all of that. But the closer you get to the light, you see it. And so that's absolutely true. Um, uh, but uh, uh, when the Lord reveals that to us, uh, which, you know, he does reveal uh, to those who are his, does reveal our sins, um, he also only, he, he reveals that to us that we might all the more flee to him uh, and desire to be set free and, and to uh, be more like Christ. Uh, when we see those things in us, so that that happens, and as you said, it doesn't happen overnight. But those desires 
um, are there um, that he plants uh, within us and he nurtures those desires within us if we truly belong to him to be more and more like him and uh, praise God uh, because if it were left up to us uh, it, it definitely would not happen <laughs> okay thank you for joining us you are dismissed